Are you ready for Christmas? No, there's an honest man. I'm not either. In fact, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a little panicked. I, in the first service, I told them I hope they join us for Christmas Eve service on Thursday. Uh, I'm a day short. It's even a day less to get ready. Uh, one frantic, frazzled woman, she on Christmas Eve was rushing around the store uh, trying to take care of her gift list. Uh, maybe you've been there before. Quite fun. Maybe you're one of those that deadlines inspire you. Well, she's going around trying to get all her presents done, and suddenly she realizes something and panics. No longer in her hand is her pudgy uh, little son's hand, three years old. She's lost him. She goes and starts looking everywhere for him. Finally, she finds him, his face pressed up against the glass, looking into a life-size manger scene. She says, Bobby, Bobby, where have you been? He turns around and says, look, Mommy, look, there's baby Jesus in the hay. She says, come on, we don't have time for that. <clears throat> now, I've been where she was. Not only is she in a hurry, but she has that fear, that terror that can strike in any parent's heart when you realize your little one, your toddler, is not with you in a big crowded store. But that phrase, we don't have time, is very important for us to focus on, I think, this Christmas. It's very easy to lose sight of what it's all about. It's very easy to lose sight of the fact that all of us have choices we make to give our attention to give of our resources, to give of our lives to different things. Today we're going to ask the question as we finish up this Christmas series, what can we give Jesus? We, we talk about, and maybe you know what God gave to us through Jesus Christ, but what can we give to Jesus? What, what can we present to him this December 25th? As we do that, we're going to look at the story of the wise men in Matthew's gospel. Now, when you see the typical manger scene, what do you see? You see Mary, and you see Joseph, and maybe you see a baby doll wrapped up in a blanket, or maybe they're bold and have a real live baby in the manger scene. And the baby's in what is a, a, a feeding trough for animals they call a manger, usually with hay. And then there are some shepherds. And usually there are three, three people dressed in very fine clothes. And there are three of them we call the wise men. Now, I hate to burst your bubble this Christmas, but the manger scenes we typically see are biblically inaccurate. You see, these three wise men, as we call them, sometimes we call them kings, one, in Scripture, there's no record of there being three of them. They are not called kings. They're called magi or wise men. And even more, you need to understand that these magi came from what is now modern-day Iran. They came from Babylon. It took them quite a while. The distance from Babylon to Bethlehem, where Jesus uh, lived, 
uh, excuse me, to Nazareth where he lived. Uh, that was a, a, a place that uh, it, it took about 500 miles as the crow flies. Uh, and then if you go the typical route, they went northwest from the Euphrates River from Babylon and then down along another river bank. Don't believe that's how they built roads then. 900 miles. That's about the distance from here to Macon, Georgia, the down south of Atlanta. I'm from Atlanta, so I know that trip. It takes all day by car to go from here to Atlanta. But these wise men, these magi, they traveled by foot. Now, they had to make preparations for this journey, and they go 900 miles, 900 miles to see this prophecy fulfilled underneath this great astrological event. We read about it here in Matthew chapter 2. We real, read the real version, not what we have commonly traditionally seen as what happened there. And, and it reads like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the priests, people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. If this was in a movie, you'd hear this kind of creepy music. He's being deceitful. He's dissembling, isn't he? Herod says, I want to go worship him too. When we soon find out he has anything but worship in mind for this newborn king. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, on coming to the what? Not the barn. Not the manger. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. <clears throat> when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Tell, stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. <clears throat> out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, what you get from that as you read that story in its entirety, these are not three. They are Magi unnumbered they are not kings but you see that there has been a time lapse of at least a year maybe up to two years from the birth of jesus to the visit 
of the Magi. And as they come, we see several things that they bring to Jesus, that they give to Jesus. Several things that this Christmas you also could give to Jesus. You can make that choice. The first is our time we can give to Jesus. It is amazing to me to think about how arduous this journey was. Now these magi, uh, if you read what scholars teach us about them, they were Persian astrologers, pagan astrologers. They weren't believers in Judaism. They believed what's called Zoroastrianism. And these wise men were, they were the counselors of royalty, of the leaders of Persia, but they were not kings themselves. They sought direction from the stars to predict the future and to give counsel to their leaders. And so these pagan astrologers, they see this star, they heard the prophecy, and so they plan and prepare, and then they travel all the way to Bethlehem. Uh, a little earlier, I made what I call a verbal cul-de-sac. I've been doing that a lot today uh, for some reason. Uh, I said that Jesus and his family were in Nazareth. That's where they were from, and that's where they lived most of their life. But right at this point, they're still in Bethlehem. And uh, somehow, perhaps somebody's let them rent a house or something. Uh, they are in a house, and the Magi come to find them. They go all that way to find them. Contrast that with how Jesus is received by his very own people. Uh, the Jewish people had known for centuries this prophecy, prophecies of the coming Messiah. They'd known for centuries that one day God would send his son, the son of man, and he would be God come in the flesh. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. They knew this was to happen, and yet when it comes about, they don't even realize it. In fact, the scripture said what? Verse 3, they were disturbed by it. When King Herod heard this, the Magi saying, we have seen the star and we've seen and we've come to worship this and to find this newborn king. They hear this and they're disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. They don't want to be bothered. For he will upset their routines. He will upset their perhaps selfish priorities. He will upset the things that they want to do. But this is no no surprise, for the Bible says in some of its prophecies about the coming Messiah, he won't be received well. Look at what Isaiah 53 says. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. What I was talking about earlier, uh, I get ready for worship by, by thinking about what it is uh, if Jesus were here, I'd want him to see how he'd want to how he'd want me to respond to him. Uh, the reason I say that is, I think our common conceptions, you ever seen those old paintings of Jesus? They, they're what I call GQ Jesus. You know, he's always looks like a model, a long flowing hair and the nice beard trimmed up. What's this say? He's not going to be attractive in appearance. Uh, we might not recognize him if he walks in here. In fact, what that scripture seems to in, uh, say to us is that he is not going to be attractive physically. He was despised and rejected by mankind. 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. The distance from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, six miles. Unlike the 900 miles that the Magi traveled, these people, they ignore him. If not, despise and reject him. John says this to us, John 1.11. He came to that which was his own, that is his own people, the people who expected him, the people of his bloodline, but his own did not receive him. Yes, it can be inconvenient to have the Lord in your midst. And here you see a great contrast between the people, Jesus' people, and these pagan magi. You also see a great contrast between Herod, the king, and the magi. The magi really do want to worship him. Herod wants to do away with him. For Herod knows that if Jesus comes to power, if he is who he says he is, then everything's going to change. Jesus knows, uh, or excuse me, Herod knows that if Jesus comes to power, then his own kingdom is in peril. And he perhaps will lose his position. The people ignored him. The chief priests and teachers of the law, they had no time to go the six miles to visit him. Herod wanted to get rid of him. Uh, quite like, really, our culture today. You know, in night, uh, excuse me, 2005, the Barna Research Group conducted a poll of Christians. And in the national survey, these Christians responded, and I want you to hear carefully these numbers just a few years ago. One of the questions was, what is the most important aspect of Christmas? And this is how the people responded. 37% of the adults, all of the adults, said it was the birth of Jesus. 32% of them who self-identified as fundamentalists gave the same answer. 24% of theological liberals said that the birth of Christ made Christmas important for them. While 44% of the respondents said family time was most important. And I don't have the other responses, but you get the message that even Christians have lost sight of the main reason we celebrate Christmas, of the main reason we celebrate it all. In our culture, those who don't know him has become increasingly hostile toward him. Our culture, those who don't believe, they want to remove Christ from all aspects of our society. From our governmental buildings, from our schools, from everything that we do together, the many want to remove him. Why? Because if the Son of God was born in a manger 2,000 years ago, they might have to change something. They might have to change their lives. They might have to make different decisions. They might not always be able to live the way they've always lived. But I'm not just talking about non-Christians. I'm saying to us who are believers, if Jesus is Lord, that means he becomes the boss of our lives. That means he deserves the focus of our time 
He deserves the priority of our time. It means we need to make it important to spend time with him. We need to make it a priority in our life to spend time with his people. Sometimes people say to me, I can worship God all on my own. I can worship God on the river, or I can worship God on the lake or in the woods. And yes, that is true, but it is vital for us to worship with other believers. It's vital for us to spend time together. Matthew uh, chapter 18 says this, For where two or three are gather, gather in my name, there I am with them. Hebrews 10 says, Forsake not the assembly. That is, forsake not coming together to worship. It is critical for us to make a commitment to being involved with the people of God, of coming together to worship. There's something that happens when God's people come together uh, that cannot happen individually. It is fellowship. The Bible says that the early church in Acts chapter 2, they spent every Sunday worshiping together. And they worshiped by the apostles' teaching, listening to the word preached or taught by fellowship, that is, giving and uh, having offering together by the breaking of bread which is a euphemism for the Lord's Supper and by prayer. They worshiped together. So let me suggest to you, this Christmas, you can give to Jesus. If you need to, wrap it up and put a bow on it. You can put before Jesus this commitment, this coming year to regularly be worshiping Jesus with other believers. Now listen, I understand that sometimes you're going to be on vacation or maybe sometimes you got to do family things. Listen, you can go to church wherever you are. When I go on vacation or go on a trip, I make time to gather with God's people. Sometimes it takes uh, that total effort of putting it in my Google on my phone and I find the place to go. But it's important for me, it's important for you to give our time in worship, to give our time to Jesus. Think about this. These wise men, these magi, they spent probably at least three-fourths of it one year, if not a whole year, preparing, traveling, visiting, traveling back. We can give that time to worshiping together. We can give that time to serving others in his name. Secondly, we see from the magi that they give their treasure. They give their treasure. They, that is, they give material resources. Now listen, uh, I think time is a valuable resource. Maybe the most valuable. For we all have a limited amount of it. And time is, some say, it, it can be measured. Our life can be measured by the dash. By that time when we were born, the dash on our gravestone, and the time when we die. But my suggestion to you is, it's not so much the quantity of time. I was visiting with a staff in our staff meeting a couple weeks ago, and I said to them, it's amazing how I look around. And in this meeting, Stephen, uh, who works with our junior high and, and does a lot of our administration now, he, he said, yeah, I was a junior when you came to preach here. That makes you feel old. Yeah, I look around, all these other people, these kids I saw born are now in third grade here when I first came here. I look around, and they're all getting older, and I, I'm the same. I, you know, no, I look in the mirror, and I know <laughs> the years have put something on me, too, you know. Uh, but time, precious 
Typically, we treasure our stuff, our things. Here, these guys bring the most valuable resources they can be. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, you might not know or value frankincense and myrrh. We still value gold. But understand this. These were precious. These were valuable resources. And even more, I think each of them had a symbolic meaning. The gold, it was presented to the infant king. It was given because of his royalty. The frankincense, this was an expensive resin that was used in religious offerings. It was given to speak of his divinity. And the myrrh, myrrh was used, again, an expensive resin in embalming in those times. It was given to represent his death for us. I think God led these pagan astrologers to bring these specific gifts. But even more, there was a very practical reason for these gifts. You read what happened. They come and ask for directions. The chief priests say, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Herod says, well, I want you to tell me when you find him so I can go down and worship him. Well, they supernaturally are impressed to go a different way back. When Herod realizes that, he does what? Saddest part of the Christmas story. He has all the kids under two years old, the boys, killed. Why? Because somewhere in that window has been the time elapsed since Jesus was born. Somewhere from a year to two years since he actually came to become incarnated into life. And so he brings to these wise men the gifts. And what happens? An angel appears to Joseph and says, you need to get your family out of here. Go to Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question. How did they fund that trip? How did they take care of themselves for however long it took to get down to Egypt to stay there until Herod had died, which was probably a couple years? Maybe, just maybe, they used that gold and that frankincense and myrrh, they sold it to provide for their expenses for their trip. All of us have resources. Naked we come into the world, naked we depart. Maybe you've heard the country song, there's no such thing as a hearse with a trailer hitch. Y'all heard that? You can't take anything that you get here with you. You have the things that you have, and you can use them for your own needs, your own wants, your own pleasures, or you can invest them for others. You can invest them in the kingdom. These wise men give us a great example that we too can, as we give to Jesus, we can give him our treasures. We can give him those things that we value. We can give him an investment in the kingdom. So maybe this Christmas, you can give him your commitment to invest in his kingdom. Third here, I think they show us that uh, we can give him our transformation. We can give him our transformation. It amazes me, this whole story, but particularly These were people who are used to being around power people. They're used to being around uh, the Persian kings 
They are not easily swayed. But when they come in, into the presence of this toddler, one to two years old, they do what? Verse 11 says they fall down and worship. And they go around back a different way. They don't go the way Herod wants them to. And we don't know what happened to them from this point. But I believe they were forever changed by that moment. I even more know that God can change us. We come to this place today with skeletons in our closet. Maybe in our dash, the time between we were born and the time when we die in the future. We've done some things since we were born that we're not proud of. Maybe we feel like those things disqualify us. I assure you of this, that Jesus came for the sinners, and all of us are one. Jesus came so that we, caterpillars, could be turned into butterflies. He came that we who have skeletons could have new life, could be forgiven for our mistakes, and dedicated to bringing about his will on earth. Friends, today I stand before you as a man who was greatly different from when I was 18, 20 years old. <clears throat> if we in my high school class, high school graduating class of 500, if there had been a competition for the, least, the person least likely to become a minister, I probably would have won that. And we did a new website, just unveiled it on Friday. We believe investing in our online presence is going to be absolutely crucial going forward to help folks come to us and, and to come to Christ and be changed and become his disciples. It's, I, want, I encourage you to check it out. But Ray asked me to write, a, he's our IT director who, who made our website, really looks good. He asked me to do a short bio. And so I thought about why it is I do what I do. And in that I, I say that it's to see Jesus change for the better the lives of people and their families. Because I tell you, he amazingly has done that in my life. I know he can do that wherever you are right now. I know if you're a partier. I know if you've done bad things with your body or put into your body. I know if you've been selfish, if you've been dishonest. I know that he can change you. He can turn you from a person who's self-centered to a person who's Christ-centered. I know today the best thing you can give to Jesus is to open your heart and to let him change you from the inside out. God loves to work in the dash. So this Christmas, what will you give to Jesus? Fathers, we think about these things. I pray that um, you've spoken to us. Through the, the lives of these non-believers, the Magi, we see a great testimony of what we can give to you. <clears throat> As we wrap up one year and head to another, 
with our celebration of Christmas and New Year's. I pray today that our future will be different from our past. If, even if we've given you some of our time, some of our treasure, some of our transformed life, our heart to be led by you, I know perhaps that we can do more. So I pray that you'd be the king of 2015 in our lives. That we'd invest our time, we'd invest our treasure. We would let you lead us through this new year. We come and give these gifts to you today and pray that you're pleased with them. In Jesus' name.